Welcome to Right Spokane Perspective with your host, Tim. And Shannon. It's opinion, fact, information, and your alert system. Stay tuned and enjoy the show. And welcome to Right Spokane Perspective on this Wish We Were in Idaho Wednesday episode. Well, you know, some some of us just wish that we in eastern Washington had uh, Idaho-style government that didn't have as high taxes, had better criminal justice. And we're going to be talking a little bit about criminal justice today because we have a candidate that's on the line. And these are the kind of show folks that we bring you, and it's why we don't have a lot of corporate sponsorship or We have no corporate sponsorship. We are listener-supported, supported by you, the listeners, because we want to bring information that's not biased with whatever advertisers we might have. We want you to have the information that you think is important. And today we've got a candidate in Kootenai County Sheriff, possible sheriff, candidate, Dan Wilson, he's going to be on the ballot coming up, and folks need to be informed on what happens. I know this is Idaho. Our show reaches quite a wide range, and we need to realize that our neighbors in Idaho, or Idaho's having us as neighbors in Washington, we share a lot in common, not just politically, not just in commerce, but also uh, in, in family. You know, lots of people have family just across the border, and we need to inform the families uh of our neighbors. And so for Washington residents that have family in Kootenai County, share this show with them so they can get to know the candidates because we're going to be having candidates throughout the election cycle on the show. And we're going to jump into that conversation after inspiration. Our inspiration today is yielding to trust. Opening the blinds one winter morning, I faced a shocking sight, a wall of fog, freezing fog. The weather forecaster called it Rare for our location, this fog came with an even bigger surprise. A later forecast for blue skies and sunshine in one hour? Impossible, I told my husband. We can barely see one foot ahead of us. But sure enough, in less than an hour, the fog had faded. The sky was yielding to a sunny, clear blue. Standing at a window, I pondered my level of trust when I can only see fog in life. I asked my husband... Do I only trust God for what I can already see? When King Uzziah died and some corrupt rulers came to power in Judah, Isaiah asked a similar question, whom can we trust? God responded by giving Isaiah a vision so remarkable that it convinced the prophet that he can be trusted in the present for better days ahead. As Isaiah praised, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. The prophet added, trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. When our minds are fixed on God, we can trust even during foggy and confusing times. We might not see it clearly now, but if we trust God, we can be assured that his help is on the way. Heavenly Father, when the world looks foggy and confusing, please help us to fix our mind on you, in whom we can trust forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yes. Trust in God. And, and when it's foggy as a truck driver, I can tell you that uh, you can't always trust the fog line because that means you're just going to be taking the next exit and you're not going to get to your destination. So it's hard to see through the fog. You can't always trust just the fog line and you have to have some wisdom and some of that wisdom you want in your leadership as well as the inspiration mentioned the corruption in leadership we want to make sure we have leadership that we can trust we want elected officials that do the right thing that's why we do all the candidate interviews so you can get to know the folks that are running for office in your local area today we have 
Kootenai County Sheriff Candidate Dan Wilson on the line with us, and I want to welcome him to the show. Thanks for the time today. Tim and Shannon, thank you so much for having me on. It is a pleasure talking with you both. And I have to say, Tim, it has been a while since you and I have last uh, spoke and rubbed elbows. I think you were in the, uh, the height of dealing with daycare issues there in Washington State. Yeah, that was a few years back, and it's definitely an issue. It's still an ongoing issue. We uh, actually just had a show uh, coming up this week. We're talking about family issues and foster care. Uh, I, I think that our elected government here in Washington has done a lot of detrimental things to families and children. And that's one of the reasons why uh, we like a lot of things going on in Idaho where there's more freedom and parental controls. And and yeah. you're looking at a different dynamic. You're not looking at the legislative side of things as much, but you're looking at the law and justice side. And I don't want to jump too much into the politics of that yet, because I think the listeners, especially all of those listeners we have over in North Idaho, Kootenai County specifically, need to know who is Dan Wilson and, and what have you done with your life? Yeah, well, th- thank you for asking that. Um, I am a fourth generation Spokaneite in the Valley. Uh, I grew up on the original Antone plant homestead, which was the first, I think, settler to the Spokane Valley back pre-Civil War, a trapper. And my grandparents lived on his homestead. My great-grandfather bought the place back in the late 20s, early 30s. And I was the last of the Wilsons to live up there before I had to make my exodus to Idaho, Um, but I grew up in the Spokane area. I became a, uh, well, let me, let me start by saying I was one of the first generation homeschool kids. So my parents started homeschooling me in second grade around 1984 and I completed high school in 93, started a carpentry apprenticeship and uh, kind of the rest is history. They, they started um, homeschooling you in 1984. They must have read the book. They, yeah, they did. It was uh, Raymond. I think it was Raymond Moore's book. I think he was on James Dobson. And my mom was listening one night and heard the broadcast. And I was in uh, Christian school at the time, halfway through the school year. And all of a sudden, my parents said, we're going to rip you out of school. And we're going to start teaching you at home. And let me tell you, that was back in the days where you were really considered to be uh, a weirdo if you were uh, a homeschooled person. And uh, so well, that's I, not I the case. those first years. That's not the case anymore. There's been uh, over 500% increase in homeschooling here in yeah. Washington State. And so as uh, I guess I, you would say a product of homeschooling, you've done pretty well for yourself. You've been a contractor for a number of years and uh, tell us, uh, you know, outside of the contracting, or maybe you tell us a little more about the contracting, what you've kind of done with your life that led you up to running for office. Sure. Well, I, I got married young and I have uh, five children. They're almost, all of them are grown. I have a special needs daughter who's 18 that still lives with me and a 15 year old. But uh, I started my general contracting company in 2000 and a couple of years later, I added a, another company, a commercial cabinet shop. And then in my early 30s, I had the opportunity with my businesses doing extremely well to go ahead and, and start pursuing some things that I had always wanted to be a part of, and that was law enforcement. When I was young, I got involved with carpentry and my carpenter apprenticeship. And so along with playing some music and uh, I was in a country road band for several years, 
Uh, I missed the opportunity at a younger age to become uh, involved with law enforcement or pursue that career. And so in my 30s with people helping me run my companies, I had applied for the Spokane Police Department and was picked up as a reserve officer, went through the academy and uh, then served with Spokane uh, Police Department as a reserve police officer from 2011 through 2014 and then was recruited to go out to Liberty Lake where I served the next eight years uh, working as a, uh, a reserve patrolman for Liberty Lake. So how does that and work? I know about the military reserves. What what mm -hmm. does a officer reserve look like? Well, a, a reserve officer in the state of Washington is a commissioned police officer who has limited abilities, meaning that I'm not a cop 365 days a year, 24 seven. I'm only have my police powers while I'm actually working the job. And so you have to go through an academy. It's the condensed version of a full-time bully of basic law enforcement academy that uh, they hold throughout various areas in the state. Um, and so rather than doing that full time, I had to go to the academy nights and weekends for about four months. And once you pass every bit of the same qualifications as a full time, fully sworn officer would, uh, we graduated and then started our post with our uh, agency that I worked with, which was Spokane. And at the end of the day, we ended up um, working on the streets and arresting people. And we had all the exact same power and authority throughout the state that any other officer would. But we in Spokane, we did that for free. So we have to put in X amount of hours of patrol time per year uh, and per month, rather, and per year, as well as meet the, the same minimal monthly training requirements as full timers do. And at the end of the day, we, we do it for no pay and some agencies throughout the state will use reserve officers to supplement full-time patrol and they, they'll pay those officers but i never took a paycheck from any of the two either of the two agencies that i work for okay so now you're you're this is uh years ago here in washington as in a reservist <laughs> program and so this is like they if there was uh uh issues that came about or special events, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, the basketball um, mm -hmm. hoop fest and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm yeah. sure that the parades and things like that, or, or, you know, if there were to be riots, they would call on the reservists yeah. to come in, right? Well, actually, no, we, we performed our police functions monthly. So I would work several shifts per month and it, it might be as little as two or three full shifts per month, or it could be as many as I actually wanted to put in. So, so some of this also um, was to help mitigate the overtime hours of the full duty yeah, law enforcement. Supplement patrol. And, you know, we're, we're nothing high speed. We're not on specialty teams. We're not part of SWAT. We're not part of the cart teams. Uh, you know, what we do is we just get in patrol cars. In Spokane, the reserves were never given a single car status. So that means that we were always riding with a fully sworn officer, uh, but we still took primary on calls and I could make arrests. I had to write my own reports, book evidence, you know, all the, the same functions that a fully sworn Spokane police officer would. Yes, we worked all of the special events, Bloomsday, Lilac Parade, St. Patty's Day, Hoop Fest, you name it, uh, Martin Luther King. Uh, but we also would be called in for special assignments 
there might be a crime scene that needs guarding and we would go in and, and uh, facilitate that to free up police officers full time that, that needed to you know be available for calls for service. So in Spokane, last year alone, reserves uh, gave back to the community over $800,000 to the city of Spokane. Wow. In Liberty Lake, I was recruited. It's a much um, simpler lifestyle out there. The the calls for service, the demand is nowhere near as heavy as it was in, in the city of Spokane. Yeah, a lot lower crime rate there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we still have, you know, your great garden variety crimes that, that, that we all face, but we don't have as many shootings and murders as what you would find in the city of Spokane. Uh, but there I was actually a single car status. So I was able to qualify and I pushed my own patrol car for eight years and, and fulfilled the role of, of patrol functions on, uh, every, each and every month and also trained with, uh, the team. And so stayed up on all of the, the state law and all the state qualifications. And, you know, we, we put in a lot of work. So yeah, we get called in anytime they needed to supplement us for extra duties. But, you know, I was working a lot of times on a two man night. Team. So I'd come in and work graveyard and, and there would be uh, two to three of us patrolling the entire city for the night. And, you know, sometimes a call might tie up uh, a lot of resource. So it's good to have somebody that can run uh, a suspect uh, down to the jail or be able to uh, help uh, collect and, and uh, book evidence. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of functions that we do as reserves, but uh, we are just merely there to support our community to get back to it and to be a, a, uh, a great enhancement to the full-time patrol guys. Okay, so you work um, part-time, if you will, on the law enforcement side here in the city of mm-hmm. Spokane and then Liberty Lake, and so you were mm-hmm. a reservist. So when people say yeah. they back the blue, uh, you actually mm-hmm. did back the blue and became part of that law enforcement apparatus to help keep the yeah. community safe in the past, and now you're looking at running for Kootenai County Sheriff. If you're not from Kootenai County, I know that you probably travel there more than likely to buy gas um, and maybe other products as well. We are neighbors here in Washington to Kootenai County, and they are our neighbors, so we definitely want to have some cohesive law enforcement because the state line is just an imaginary government line of where we pay taxes and what state laws govern us, but when we talk about community safety, there's a lot of criminal activity that go back and forth. Uh, Dan, tell us a little bit about the Kootenai County Sheriff's Office and what you see as law enforcement. You spent that time over in Liberty Lake as a reserve officer and in the city of Spokane. You saw that the criminal element does business across state lines. So tell us what's going on over there. Yeah, well, you know, being with Liberty Lake, I retired from Liberty Lake in March of 23. So it's been just under a year. And being on the border with Idaho, what we frequently would witness is because Washington laws were so lax, uh, criminals from Kootenai County would come into Washington to commit their crimes, knowing that if by chance they get caught, uh, slap on the wrist, no real consequences. So less penalties. So, so, so you're a law enforcement officer reservist here in mm-hmm. Washington, but you're living yeah. in Idaho. So no, well, y- yes and no. I, I moved in 2020. So I've, I've only been in Kootenai County since October of 2020. Okay. So about, about three, just over three years, you've been in yeah. Idaho 
And right. and so you you kind of saw the traffic of Kootenai County uh, criminal element coming into Washington because there was lesser of a crime in the places yes. that you patrolled than the ones that you would like to patrol as the sheriff. Yeah, I, I think that uh, our standards for what we penalize cr- criminals in Idaho uh, are far greater than Washington. I mean, it was so absurd the last couple of years what Washington did to the people through uh, decriminalization of certain acts and and really tying the hands of law enforcement. I, I remember that people would get pretty upset when they found out their car was stolen and that no officer would show up to take the report, that they had to give the report over the phone to a, a, a crime check uh, operator. And, and that's just wrong. I mean, if you had your vehicle stolen back when I first started in law enforcement in 2011, we always showed up to whoever the reporting party was for a stolen vehicle. That's how bad things have gotten in Washington state. So watching the way things devolved in Washington, uh, there was a great opportunity for criminals throughout the region to take advantage of that and to conduct their criminal activity over in Washington, where, like I said earlier, less penalty if they get caught. But in Idaho, we take a, a much uh, harsher stance on people trying to deprive others of life, liberty, or property. What's well, amazing how different it is that so uh, it, you know you you know obviously the theft of a car that is uh, a lot of value to the victim of that crime. Yeah. But I called in years ago on graffiti. And if mm-hmm. your property is graffitied here in Spokane or in Washington, pretty much you are doing the evidentiary side yourself. Even if you had camera footage, the face of the individual on camera, maybe even know where that person lives, law enforcement will do nothing about it. In fact, you're taking a picture of the graffiti, putting it on the website for law enforcement because they want to track gang activity, and it would timestamp when the graffiti was put on there. And if you yourself didn't remove it, the only person that paid a penalty for that graffiti was you paying fines for not removing the graffiti. So that's Washington, whereas over in Idaho, if you have video of criminal activity and you know where the person is, officers show up and make an arrest, whereas in Washington, good luck. Yeah, so I, I love the great state of Idaho. It has been a dream of mine to be over here for well over 10 years. It just took a long time to actually make the jump. I had put my place on the market or was just about ready to put it on the market when this little thing called 14 Days to uh, Slow the Spread happened. Oh, yes, and, that's right. Yeah, we're, I think we're right? still in that somewhere. Yeah, yeah. but the, definitely the government spending in Washington is still about the same. Yeah, no, no joke, right? And um, so really at the end of the day, uh, we got over here personally. I just completed moving both my, my companies over to Idaho as well. But, uh, you know, I, I really love, as you had alluded to earlier, um, the way Idaho runs. And Kootenai County is, is really a blessing, uh, a, a gem in the entire nation. And, and there's so many people that want to be here. Of course, we love our, our friends and family here in eastern Washington, uh, or I say here as if I'm still there, but, you know, in, in the region, because we empathize, we, we know how hard it is for liberty-minded uh, people to have to endure what the citizens of eastern Washington are having to endure. And it's, it's, 
it's unbelievable that we have arrived at a day and time where we are seeing what we are seeing. Well, in Idaho too, you know, price of property has skyrocketed so much that pe- most people can't afford to move to Kootenai County or anywhere in North yes. Idaho now. And that's yes. because Idaho is the fastest growing state several years in a row, fastest growing state in the nation per capita because of the level of freedom and the lower taxes and because Idaho actually enforces laws. You don't have to be just right. a, a silent victim that never sees justice. And, and that's kind of what sure. we see here in Washington is, is the victims never see justice and the only people that are advocated for is the criminals. And, yes. you know, we just actually another interview that's uh, Airing this week, we had county prosecutor on the air with us, and and it's a struggle here in Washington to have any part of the justice system thinking that victims are getting to see justice. So you're looking at at the justice system in North Idaho and wanting to prop up that upright, common sense law enforcement perspective. So running for sheriff, you're going to be on the ballot coming up in November 2024. But there's a, also a, a primary election that you'll be facing coming up. You said in May. Yeah, in May, uh, May 21, I believe, and uh, that is the, uh, it'll, it'll be the Republican primary. I am challenging a Republican incumbent, and uh, yeah, so it's going to be a, a, a fast-paced, intense next five months. Okay, so in, in that process, uh, Idaho's not uh, an all-mail-in ballot state, are they? Or did, that, did they stick with that after COVID? No, they, they definitely are not. In fact, I think there has been a movement to make it pretty much impossible to vote via mail-in unless you can prove that there's a, you know, a reason why you're not able to actually go down to the polls and, and participate locally. Hallelujah. Yeah. I, yeah I, so the, decentralizing the election system down to the precinct level, go see your neighbors, meet your neighbors, do yes. the patriotic thing and vote. So this primary election coming up, for you said what day in may was it i believe it's may 21 i don't have my calendar in front of me but that uh, seems to stick out in my mind okay so this is the time where folks can get engaged in the process a lot of folks don't know that the primary is important but it is because it's going to be those top candidates that the, the primary voters are choosing and you know why should the voters choose you as the as the candidate for the county sheriff in kootenai county well a couple things a lot of people are not familiar exactly with what the sheriff uh, is and what, what the sheriff does. And I think that, you know, we have to first start out with that so that it can be explained why uh, somebody such as me who has been part-time law enforcement, but a, a career business and non-government work is, is the great candidate for this uh, position. So the sheriff is the, um, the chief law enforcement entity in the county elected by the people. So the only person that the sheriff is accountable to is the people. In the state of Idaho, there's only three requirements to become sheriff, and that is you must be 21 years of age, you must be a citizen of the United States, and you must have resided in the county for which you are running for at least one year prior to your announcement. What happens is all too often, people are led to believe that in order to be a sheriff, you must be a 20 or 30 year tenured cop. Um, because of, of that experience, people believe that, you know, that is the only competent individual to run the office of the sheriff. And that's really false. Yeah, I think that there can actually be a problem with people 
going into elected office just because they've been part of an institution. And I've seen this with lawmakers where they actually leave the legislature and then they go work in the state agency that they created and bloated the budgets of. And, and yes. some it's like an insider trading thing almost, but it's yeah. in government. And, you know, whether it's in law enforcement or another area of government, a problem, and it's not always a problem. There's some great outstanding people that have served in elected office that were a part of an institution, but sometimes they're just carrying over uh, leadership of, of maybe the public employees union, or they're taking over uh, where maybe activists inside of the agency are looking to make changes, and it can be detrimental on how they serve the people. So just because someone has uh, experience in an institution doesn't mean that they're qualified to run it. No. And, and I think that Trump really hit this home when he was running the first time before in, in 2015, 2016, remember that Jed Bush, Jeb, Jeb Bush and Chris Christie uh, both berated him as not having any governing experience prior to running for president. And really what Trump showed us was that somebody who had not been inside the machine for all those years, but had actually lived in the real world and faced the problems that people who aren't career government employees face, uh, has a great perspective on how to come into an organization with fresh ideas and with a untainted look at what's going on and be able to address issues and get to the root of the problems uh, right. uh, uh, effectively and efficiently. Well, and what was the results and, of that? The status quo got stood on its head and we yes. had a, a border that was closed. We had relations with other countries and treaties for peace and things that none of the bureaucracies over decades yes. had been able to accomplish. Yes. And, and so people will oftentimes misunderstand the difference between what is a sheriff versus what is a cop, right? Mm -hmm. Whenever you pick up the phone and you dial 911, you want a law enforcement officer to arrive, right? Um, and so we don't often think about whether it's the sheriff's office or whether it's a police department that shows up. And so part of the confusion comes in where people look at like a, a police department for say the city of Spokane and the uh, chief of police is appointed by the mayor and in some cases the city council. And so those, those individuals serve at the pleasure of the mayors and the city council, whereas the sheriff is an elected position and solely represents the people. And so uh, while a chief of police must be fully sworn with that, uh, that state and have uh, you know, gone up through the ranks in order to be the, the police chief, the sheriff does not require that. Now I have almost, well, it's, it was 12 years of, of uh, law enforcement experience and I, I'm no way, shape or form claiming that I am an expert in law enforcement, but I had such a good exposure to the workings that I really understand the law enforcement culture. And let me tell you, I love law enforcement culture. The men and women that I got to work with were, for the most part, outstanding individuals uh, that I would go anywhere with these individuals and, and do whatever they needed in order to, uh, to to get a job done. But I also understand what it's like to be outside of law enforcement and not be a part of the blue line culture. And so I think that I'm such a, a great balance between the two 
but I also bring my my wealth of experience from running construction companies and negotiating contracts and bringing subject matter experts in multidisciplines together in order to facilitate taking care of a problem or in 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 our case a build we were contracted or are contracted by clients in order to build them a project and so i take a lot of the same experience and my law enforcement background and some of the other things that i've done in my life and i bring that as a great leadership qualifier to the office that I am seeking. Well, that's great because obviously criminal justice doesn't just arrest criminals. They also are looking at the budgets on how they best, you know, serve communities. And so there are realities of business as well. So folks again out there, yes, it's 2024. There are a lot of candidates to look into. It's not just what the press makes you think about the president. They're not the most powerful person in the land. They're actually weaker than the Congress. Let's pay attention to our local elections because those that we elect locally will eventually uh, possibly be, you know, representing us in Congress. And those local elections are the ones that affect us the most in our own backyard. So look up Dan Wilson. That's uh, danwilson.com. No, it's the Idaho sheriff.com. And, uh, there you can find everything about me and what I stand for, what my positions are. You can also find me on all the platforms, X, Instagram, Facebook, at the Idaho Sheriff. Okay, look him up, Idaho Sheriff. And we're going to be bringing you on later on in the election cycle to see how you do in the primary. And we're going to be looking at lots of candidates. So, folks, it's time to get engaged and find out who all these folks are so you know who you're going to support when you sign on the dotted line of that election ballot. All that being said, we will be with you, folks, again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Right Spokane Perspective. We are sponsored by Right Spokane Perspective LLC and made possible by advertisers you hear and contributions from listeners like you.